1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly.
1: And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we're breaking down the NFL's new COVID policy. The league is warning teams that COVID outbreaks among unvaccinated players could lead to forfeited games and fines. Coming up, we speak with industry expert Bob Boland. of Penn State University. Plus, we get the perspective from three-time NFL Pro Bowl running back Warwick
2: Dunn. That is all straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's talk about some of the other top stories of the week. Uh, We got to talk a little bit of NBA Finals. We have wrapped up that season and it's going to be back before we know it. That's just the way the world is working. Uh, we were excited though that our colleagues over in Bloomberg Television got to catch up with Mark Lazary He, of course, is the co-owner of the Bucks. He's well-known on Wall Street because he runs the investment group Avenue Capital. And he told Bloomberg that the Bucks are being approached by brands who are looking to capitalize on the team's newfound success. No surprise there. He also talked a lot about something we're familiar with, guys. The Deer District, tens of thousands of people, not just inside the arena, but outside, whooping it up and getting very, very excited. Take a listen.
3: We had literally about 85,000 people in the stadium and outside, um, that I think is the first time for the NBA. It's great for the city, it's great for the state, it's made people sort of now notice Milwaukee. You know, I've been saying all along that this is America's team. I believe it, I mean, I really do. I think people love Giannis, they love what we've been able to sort of put together. I sort of look forward to the future and hope that we can continue at least on the road that we're on.
2: So that was Mark Lazary, mm-hmm. co-owner of the Bucks. One interesting thing, guys, to to note, he's talking about Giannis there. Top three in terms of jerseys sold over the course of the season. You know who was ahead of him? LeBron and Steph. So mm-hmm. that's pretty good company. He is an absolute breakout star. You know, you dropped 50 points. In the uh, deciding game, the Game Six uh, of this Finals, it was just uh, incredible. Uh, he also, uh, Mark Lazary noting, the Bucks sold more merchandise than all but three other NBA title winners after they were victorious over the Suns, and that's according to Fanatics. So this is good business. Win- winning, no surprise, Lynchy. Winning, good for business. <laughs>
4: You know this group bought the Bucks back in 2014 for 550 million and as of February Forbes had them valued at 1.625 billion. Yeah. It's an embraceable franchise, it's an embraceable team and this is an incredible amount of money and incredible value for the 37th largest market in the United States.
2: Yeah. I mean, bar there was not a lot of tune-in as it were <laughs> to these NBA finals. We talked about that earlier in the week that especially you got to set aside uh, the bubble year. This was the second worst showing in this uh, so far this century, in the first 20 years of this century. So pretty brutal when it comes to TV ratings. But the excitement and, and the merch, to some extent, speak for themselves. And it was also interesting to hear Mark Lazary talk about the fact, uh, I should say, that, you know, they're looking toward the future. This was not a cobbled together Superstar team. They really built this franchise, and there's a lot of excitement, not just in Milwaukee, but beyond. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. And keep in mind, Giannis scored 50 with a Willis Reed leg. And and, I I mean, it's amazing (sighs) what he did. I mean, no wonder why he's third in the merchandising sales. And, And When, you know, as we go through all of the the NBA draft stuff and we see who's going to get what and this and that, whatever, I want to see how the merchandising aspect happens for some of the rookies now coming in the NBA league.
2: Yeah, well, when we'll uh, on the next show probably be able to talk a bit about what's going on with the NBA draft, what happened with the NBA draft this week uh, as we break all that down uh meanwhile over in tokyo the olympics are going on and it has been a a strange games indeed and the big headlines truly are really about things that aren't necessarily happening On the playing surface or in the gym or whatever that is, Simone Biles certainly uh, dominated the headlines with her decision not to participate, pulling herself out of the team competition and then uh, opting not to participate in the all-around. This made a huge number of headlines. She cited her own mental health as the main reason that she was not participating, and it really has been in the spotlight, not just because of her. But of course, this follows Naomi Osaka, uh, opting out of some big tennis tournaments over the summer. Our colleague, Karumi Mori over at Bloomberg Quick Take, she talked to Dr. Jared Spencer, and he works with pro teams and college athletes. And he put this in the context of the pandemic. Let's listen to what he had to say.
1: The pandemic has been the single biggest factor in mental health. And for two reasons. One, we're all struggling. And number two, the stigma's fallen. Everyone knows that we're all struggling, so no longer do we have to pretend like we're fine and we're just able to suck it up. It's more about transparency and honesty and realism and people saying, you know what, it's okay not to be okay. And the pandemic's impact has really changed mental health.
2: So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And later on, we're going to hear from Warwick dunn Lynchy And his perspective on this, I think, reminds us that this is not a cut-and-dried issue when it comes to athletes. This is something that is still evolving. This is something that, just like, as Dr. Spencer was saying there, we're all wrestling with. Athletes are wrestling with. And unfortunately, they have to wrestle with it, you know, essentially uh, out in public. But I think it's fair to say... This is, at least for the moment, what we will remember these Olympics for.
4: Well, it's real. It doesn't show up on an X-ray, an MRI, or a CAT scan. And unless you've walked in the shoes of Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles... Uh, You don't understand, but these are people that have been crying for help and they're getting the help they needed. And I can't wait to hear what uh, Warwick Dunn has to say about it as he uh, has come out and said that he suffered through some mental uh, issues during his playing days. So I'm looking forward to what he has to say about
2: it. Yeah, it's certainly uh, a big issue. All right. So this is where this last topic that we're going to talk about before we get on (laughs) with the show. This is where Barr and Lynchy collide DraftKings, the socks it's all happening Lynchy. it's like you and bar this is like a little coming together it's 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 lovely to see for me at least uh tell us about what's going on with your socks and uh and this new betting platform
4: yeah lynch well, what do you think <laughs> well you know i'm softening a little bit i i came around a name image and likeness i thought that was a big step in my part and yeah I'm that
2: was of- i have to say you very much evolved on that that's true that's true
4: and this uh, this whole, I just think the line is just so blurred now between gambling and professional sports. Uh, you know, I, I wonder what Pete Rose is thinking about all these yeah. marriages of, of, of these gambling outlets and professional teams. Uh, I remember when Joe Namath owned bachelor had a, owned a piece of a restaurant, Bachelors Three, in New York City, and Pete Rosell was the commissioner and wanted him to divest his ownership because known gamblers were hanging out there, and Joe Namath abruptly retired and resigned from the National Football League. He came back a couple of days later. But now it's here. It's here to stay. DraftKings is on the left field. It's on the monster the left field wall. It's going to be prominent behind home plate. It's here. Every two steps you take at Fenway Park, you're going to run into DraftKings. The Massachusetts House just passed uh, approval yesterday on a, a legalized gambling bill 156 to 3. It's now in the Senate Ways and Means Committee and it won't be long before we're step right up to the plate and step right up to DraftKings and put down your two bucks whatever whatever wager you want here at Fenway Park
2: well there you go bar see I mean now I I'm looking at this from a very positive perspective that now maybe you're warming toward the the Boston Red Sox a little bit bar I, I don't know like this is good these are your people
1: well, my greed and debauchery has kind of worn off on Lynchy, which I'm glad to see. <laughs> and, and listen, I, it, this is going to be here to stay, folks. As more states pick up on, on sports betting, it's going to be here. Now, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get anybody into. Hey, you got go out and gamble and do all the. No, if you want to bet like a five dollar or ten dollar bet and whatever, hey, enjoy. I'm not talking about trying to make a living out of it. It's that's a whole different thing. But it's you know it's going to be here and it's going to be here for a while. But if you want to enjoy a, a little nickel dime gambling, go out, enjoy it.
2: Well, it does feel like, and and it feels like the NBA was on the leading edge of this. Lynchy, keep me honest here. That they were really the first league to to yeah. you know kind of embrace it, and and whether they liked it or not, it, it was happening. I mean, I do remember talking to Adam Silver years ago about this, and and him being, I, I think he surprised people and caught some people off guard, and basically was like, "Listen, guys, let's let's be realistic about this." Um, Major League Baseball uh, franchises and Major League Baseball, I think it's fair to say, not always the most progressive of folks. Mm-hmm. They're not always the on the <laughs> on the bleeding edge as it were. But it is interesting to see this and, and look, this is a business and you know, these are big companies that are wanting to sponsor and wanting to pay money to be more visible in a lot of ballparks and through a lot of broadcasts and, and things like that. And Ultimately, as long as it's done safely and fairly, it, uh, it does seem to be good for the broader, uh, at least for the bottom line, of business. So uh, interesting to see such a storied franchise uh, linking <laughs> up with this. Uh, I, I guess we can't even call DraftKings upstart anymore. I mean, they're a big publicly no. traded company. That, that sort of says it all about where we are.
3: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. Start your journey at steeple.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L dot com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's get to this week's interview with Bob Boland. He teaches over at the law school and labor school at Penn State University. He was a player agent before that for about 20 years. And in that role, he negotiated hundreds of contracts and endorsement deals for players. He's the perfect person to talk to because we want to get into some news over the last couple of weeks. The NFL, they are essentially saying, look, <laughs> players, coaches, owners we're going to have to set some rules in place around covid protocols that are economic at their core in order to ensure that we can get games played and what they're saying is basically that if those protocols are violated a team will have to forfeit the game and both teams then will have to forfeit then the revenue and the economics associated with those games it is a big deal and stands to change a lot of what may happen if, in fact, those rules are broken over the course of this upcoming NFL season. Bob, really good to have you with us. How do you unpack this issue of what to tell whom to do and the economic implications and the labor implications and contracts and all of that? Help us unpack it.
5: It's, it's a remarkably interesting thing. I think the NFL has actually done it, from their leadership perspective, has done a remarkable job of making it a key economic issue right from the get-go. And I think Roger Goodell has acted very responsibly in, in – in, taking charge of a situation that he can't necessarily control himself which is the issue of players getting vaccinated or the public health issue but he can't he has taken control of what he can control which is the issue of forfeiting games and the allocation of cost and while i think he may have gone a little too far in that i think it's certainly if you were thinking about it it's it's certainly a big stick he's wielding with a small carrot at the other side
1: How far does the league go in trying to be accommodating to a team that does have a COVID problem? Last season we went through where, well, we'll play the game Monday. Well, we'll play the game Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday. Uh, How far
5: does the league go with that? I think the league is showing it isn't going to go as far. It's not going to go that far if there's a clear – if there's a clear gap in vaccine and or vaccinations and and in care. I think this time again, they're wielding the stick. That will be sympathetic if it is a if it is a multiple process. But I don't think they're going to be sympathetic if if there's if there's been. You know, kind of a an abuse of, of the process, and, and players have have broken protocols and or have chosen not to be vaccinated, and it's caused delays. So this is, their, I think, really their way of creating a carrot: get vaccinated, follow the rules, and saying to their players and owners, whatever your whatever your personal belief is here, you can you can live, we, you can have it, but it can't stop our business, and, and it can't stop our ideally sixteen billion dollar annual business and growing.
4: What's going on inside NFL locker rooms right now in terms of peer pressure, veterans who have been vaccinated, some younger guys who are wearing the wristbands and have to eat in another room and take saunas and steams in another room and have to wear masks. What's going on in there?
5: A lot of peer pressure. Uh, the NFL, I think, is you know the NFL to mandate vaccines would have to go through the players' association. That would give the players' association a bit of extra leverage. Even though this should probably be a wee problem, it gives them the ability to kind of say, "Hey, we have we have five other six other complaints we'd like to have addressed too." By by doing what the, what the league is doing, setting up the protocols, doing what they're doing, they can they can use the players' own pressure of getting paid, making the team getting paid to really work, to, to, to move toward vaccines and get compliance. Uh, and, and I think by that way, carrot and stick, the idea that if you you wanna make the team and you're the 53rd guy or the, or the 59th guy on a roster to get active pay and you're not vaccinated and you, you cause danger, well, I think that puts some pressure on you. If you're a, a veteran who has real questions about vaccine efficacy or some political beliefs that are strongly held, then my thought is you probably, you probably will get pressure from your teammates about, about not costing them money because players in the NFL earn their, game, earn their money, earn their salary in weekly game checks during the season. They aren't always paid that way. But they're earned, in, they're earned in 17 weekly installments. And that's a key thing to be ready on game day and eligible to play is a key part of this process
2: widen the aperture for us a little bit as we think about today's NFL player and just sticking with the NFL for a second I mean it is a time of a much more empowered athlete a much more outspoken athlete in many ways I mean we're talking to you on a week where you know Aaron Rodgers is once again in the headlines about his I think to use the technical term beef (laughs) with his his current team and, and some of his unhappiness that is not Certainly, a, a new phenomenon. But when you factor in uh, these COVID discussions into a, a general sense that athletes feel more emboldened, I guess how does this play out in in the broader scheme of things?
5: Well, I think it's probably it probably adapts and moves over from the public idea that that COVID has and, and vaccines mass have been politicized from the mm. beginning. So you're you're playing to your own base, if you will. Uh, you're playing to the group of people who uh, you're playing to the group of people you come from, or from whom your fans come from. So there's, there's a benefit in taking the positions that, that certain players are taking. And I think I would add that, obviously, we've noted with the African-American community, which is a majority of NFL players, there is a, there is a vaccine hesitancy based on history. So I think you're seeing a bit of a storm in that way, that that, that the groups in the NFL are Come from in, to some degree, kind of red state America, uh, where, where football is still powerful, and then you know a predominantly number of African American players. So I think you're seeing both demographics and politics operating together here. Mm.
1: The, uh, expanding on that topic, and in now taking it in a general aspect, because of this, now when the NFL steps up to the bargaining table, what are we looking at now? Have we set up a more contentious? Uh, atmosphere
5: well the nfl doesn 't have to step up to a bargaining table for ten more years they 've they've, they've kind of won the battle with their union and, and and so I think the issue you have here and we, 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 I was involved in in trying to move move that back and, and not enter into a, to a ten year deal with with some players last last go round but I think the NFL has the power here, and I think what they 're using is they 're using their economic power, the power that they pay, they pay players in weekly installments and game checks and that players have short careers and live six months out of the year without a game check uh, is very significant. is a very significant influencer, and I think that's the power the NFL has. Um, the players' union, to some degree, has to, has to decide how they feel about this. Are they, where are they going to step up for their players? And sometimes you have to be conscious of, can you step up to support the rights of your players over something you don't agree with, as a, morally or, or, or ethically?
4: so, in the in the end, here, Bob, who holds the hammer? The owners of the players
5: it, it, it's It's Roger Goodell, and he he's using the hammer against both his owners, kind of deftly, and his players. And I think he's been acting decisively and and pretty strongly, and I suspect you'll see pretty strong compliance.
2: All right, Bob, I think it would be journalistic malpractice if we had some of your, someone of your stature and experience, and, and we didn't at least throw in one question about the other big story that we're talking about all the time, which is NIL. And, you know, having seen this from the, from the perspective of a, of a former player agent, like, what do you make of this, and, and how should we be thinking about it from a business lens?
5: I think it actually is probably a pretty good thing that's happening in, in in the college athletic space. It gives college athletes a chance for greater greater opportunity and fairness. It gives them a chance to build their brand and be entrepreneurial. And I think at the end of the day, it years to more more interest in college sports and maybe more interest in sports other than the big sports. Um, does it fundamentally upset the apple cart? I don't think tremendously. The Olympics are going on right now and have have been and have allowed NIL opportunities or. Opportunities for athletes to to pursue endorsement deals for about thirty years now. So uh, since the Dream Team, so I think that that's a that's a, a space that's going to be interesting. Although I don't think most people truly understand it or have looked at it. I think they see it as more dire or more problematic, or mm. in some cases, they want to embrace it as an advantage.
2: Yeah, no, it's fascinating and uh, certainly something. We're going to be looking at closely, along with you know, so many of these issues that all, as you said at the top, this all comes down to a lot of the, a lot of the economics that are surrounding this. Bob Boland, thank you so much. He teaches in the law school and the labor school at Penn State University. Former player agent. We really, really appreciate the time. This is fantastic context for our audience as we're trying to look forward to what is going to be once again a very different NFL season. Thank you so much.
3: Start your journey at steeple.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So, now let's get the perspective on COVID protocols, vaccinations, the upcoming NFL season, and so much more with Warwick Dunn. He, of course, is a three time Pro Bowl running back. He's a businessman, he's a philanthropist, and now he is a limited partner in the ownership group of the Atlanta Falcons. He joins us from Atlanta. Warwick, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's really great to have you with us and to talk about a very specific issue that is top of mind for a lot of NFL owners, players, and fans, because there's now an economic element, a very clear economic element to how the NFL is approaching COVID. Essentially, what they're saying is that if teams violate the protocols and there are positive cases, the teams involved in the game will forfeit that game and more importantly, forfeit the revenues and all the economics associated with that. Help us understand your perspective as a former player and now as a part owner of the Atlanta Falcons.
6: Well, pro football, it's a business. You know, I know that from an athlete's point of view, I'm going to look at it as that I need to make sure that I'm prepared, that I'm always ready for the moment. That's how I always approach the game. So it's pressure on guys to to perform week in and week out. And, you know, they have to be ready. That's what you want your star players to to do. But you also want the young guys to come in and get acclimated, but also show up, prove themselves, and, you know, potentially battle for starting positions and playing time and those things. Now, when you actually think about the, uh, the business side of it, you know, you, you're trying to make sure that we can have fans in the stadium, you know, full houses, you know, all the guys, you know, they want to try to encourage all players and coaches to be vaccinated so that now, you know, we're protecting each other. And I just think it has to really just focus on what's in the best interest of, you know, the league and, and your team. And, and as teammates, you want to take care of each other. So I, I think guys have to be open to doing things that sometimes you're not accustomed to and that's just part of being a a team but I know also at at the business side of it they're really just trying to figure out ways that we can make sure that we could give the fans what they want but we have to continue to improve and make these adjustments and and do what's in the best interest of not just one individual but the entire football league so it's going to be a challenging year to make these adjustments but I think um, they're just trying to do what's uh, in in the sport's best interest.
1: Well, I have to bring up the point about the NFL bringing up the mandate now that if a team forfeits their game because of COVID, not only will that team lose their pay, but the opposing team, who they were supposed to face, will lose their pay also. And I'm just wondering what you think about that.
6: Well, I mean, it's, it's mixed emotions. You know, when you're a player, it's like you know that's not fair. You know, why should we suffer because um, some guy on another team or this team didn't do their part? And you know, I don't, I don't think that's right. Uh, you know, it's not their fault because of another team. So I mean, it, it could be some challenges there, but I do know overall you have to try to put in some guidelines and some mandates so that you know, we can have a productive year uh, playing a game of football and, and everybody have the opportunity to play every game and not have this up and down where one week we're going to play on a Monday. Oh, we may have to play on a Wednesday. we got to play on a Tuesday. You know, I think last year they adjusted. I mean, everyone did. But I just think now they're trying to just, instead of, Following up, they're trying to lead first and put things out so that everyone can make adjustments. And I think that's a better strategy. Is it going to always be right? No. We we don't like a lot of things about society and what people say that the rules or laws or whatever, but we all have to adjust. And I just think this is going to be an adjustment period for for everybody.
4: So... From what I understand, inside club facilities now, uh, they put wrist, colored wristbands on, on players who are vaccinated in a different color than those who are unvaccinated. They can't eat in the same room together. They can't work out in the same weightlifting room together. Can this possibly divide a team and really hurt them?
6: Well, it could. You know, when you're separating guys who are unvaccinated, who are vaccinated, I mean, that that could hurt a team. Football is definitely a chemistry team sport, and we have to rely on each other to be successful, and it's not one individual. So I think that that could happen. And for me, how I would look at it is that you know, I'm more of a family person anyway, so I'm always take care of my people. They're, most, they're the most important things. We all have to make sacrifices for each other to be successful. And I just think it has, you know, those individuals who are vaccinated and the ones who are not vaccinated. You have to make a decision, you know, within yourself you know, what are you going to sacrifice? And, you know, being great and all the great athletes will tell you is that you have to sacrifice things to get to the next level, to move forward, to be great. And uh, these guys who are unvaccinated, you know, um, that could be some tension on the team because if someone else gets COVID on the team and now you have to fought for the game, that could have
2: some huge repercussions down the road. So, Warwick, I want to talk about your... Post playing career, tell me about, tell us about sort of how you divide your time because you're very close with Arthur Blank. You're a minority owner of the Falcons, so you've got that perspective. You have created a business and, and philanthropic empire of sorts around yourself. How do you divide your time? Break it down for us.
6: You know, growing up being oldest of six, you know, I've had to put my family first. So, you know, for me, yeah, I'm going make sure that I'm able to spend time with my family. I think that is vital in my life, and that's what I've done. You know, I spend a lot of time on charity, uh, trying to support programs other business ventures that I'm a part of, that I, that I try to participate in. I'm going to go to practice, training camp practice, when it comes to the Falcons. I'm there to support and, and, and work with partners and sponsors and, and those things because I try to always elevate, you know, who we are as an organization. And I try to support Mr. Blank any way that I can. But I love doing your work at home and, <laughs> you know, just those those little things that, you know, some people may take for granted. I learned at an early age that, you know, you got to cherish those moments. And I think COVID has definitely highlighted that a little bit more. I think we've all taken a, a look at being more intentional about Where we spend our time because you just never know, and you know I I just try to have a balanced life.
1: I am for any athlete getting as much money as they can during negotiations, especially NFL players. Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, he kind of had a festivus and airing of grievances. Aaron Rodgers has not been happy with the Packers, and there has been some contention if he was going to retire. Uh, instead of staying with the Packers, so they had been trying to work out a deal. And he held a press conference. What do you think about when some athletes go through that negotiating process, and sometimes it's not pretty? Uh, what are your thoughts about that?
6: Uh, he's proven himself to be an elite, elite player. Should he be making personnel decisions? That I have no idea. I can't knock him if he wants to do that. We all have an opinion on who should be on the team or or whatever, but I just think me, stay out of the front office and really focus on the things that you can control, and um, as a player, I've always tried to do that. I think Aaron, you know, he's been around a long time. A great player. Do you want to force him into retirement? I, I just think he's passionate about winning and being much more consistent, so... He's a guy who's going to uh, voice his opinion. It is up to the Packers to make a decision what they want to do. But I uh, just hope uh, the best, obviously, for Aaron, because the Packers are going to make that money. You know, you want you want the players who plan to make as much money as they can while they have the opportunity.
4: Warwick, uh, as as a part owner of, of the Falcons and a good friend with Arthur Blank, do you feel any responsibility to educate the unvaccinated players on the team or to give them a little <clears throat> nudge? in the direction that they should get vaccinated
6: well I, I think it's important that we do uh educate people on uh the vaccinations and why they should and the importance of it can you force anyone um, there's no mandate to do that but i think it, it is important that you do educate people and you know i believe in the science so I don't have a problem listening and really understanding that it's truly not just about myself, but again, I'm a preach team. If we are a team, you know, um, I got to do the things that's going to help me and my teammates, you know, put the best product on the field. So I know some guys in the league have balked that, you know, um, that they have to get vaccinated and so forth. And, I just want them to take a step back, and and I respect how they feel. I, you know, we all are only individuals, but it's, it's going to be challenging to, uh, I, I think, for us to really turn the corner and every player vaccinate. I think guys have a certain way they feel, and I have to respect the way that they feel. But I do believe in the science, and um, the science speaks. You have a lot of individuals that know people that are in the hospital that have died from COVID or, you know, they're in a hospital because of this Delta variant that I think is starting to wake people up and really see that we need to do those little things. And all of our bodies, as you know, I'm sure you guys know that it responds. I'll Bodies respond to different things differently. Everybody's not going to have the same response, so we just have to make sure that you know we educate people on you know the pluses and minuses and what's in their best interest and their family's best interest.
2: So, work. You know, you've seen some interesting things over the course of of your career as as a college player, as a a professional athlete, and and now as we've been discussing, you know, sitting in a different seat when it comes to the NFL as, as an owner. Um, you know, we have seen players, and, and I'm thinking beyond COVID, um, and and beyond even this moment, we, we have really seen a rise in players feeling empowered and speaking out on on social justice. This is something, you know, you have very much put your money where your mouth is, as it were, and you're incredibly involved philanthropically building homes for folks and, and many other things. How do you see the role of, of the modern athlete and, and the responsibility in terms of speaking out and, and giving back?
6: Uh, well, I, I think when I played, the role was a lot different. You know, we, um, we you know, I don't think we were, we felt empowered. Mm. I felt if we stepped out and said something, you know, we would take a lot get a lot of backlash and I think you probably guys you guys probably know you've seen players in the past who've tried to say something and have you know been like blacklisted. But I just think this day and age with obviously more things that you can actually see on video and it's not hearsay anymore, you can actually see the evidence, these guys are emboldened and they want to see change and you have to advocate for that and, and you know take a stance. And I think they're doing that. They're trying to do it in, in productive ways and raise more awareness, you know, and you know, I advocate for families when it comes to housing, you know, financial literacy, health and wellness, just family bondness, togetherness, the support, having both parents involved in kids' lives. We, if you want to change things, you have to start at the root cause of it. Those families have stability and with housing and so forth. So there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. It's a lot of things that need to, uh, the corner needs to be turned, but again, that doesn't happen unless you change policy, and that's really what it comes down to—the people that you elect. So, uh, it's, it's a lot of things that these guys that they're raising more awareness about—they put money behind, they're advocating for, they're fighting for—and you just need to continue to grow that base. And if you can get more people to really understand the position that you're coming from, that you know this could affect you. It can affect you, and it can affect you, and, it, and sometimes you don't realize it as an individual until you actually go through it. So yeah, you know, I think these guys are, you know, they're taking the right steps because they've been there and done that and lived that life. And um, if they can see the people behind them start to live a better overall uh, productive life when it comes to, you know, uh, You know, just the different issues that we have in society overall, I think it's a great thing. And they're actually putting money, the money that they make, they're supporting these organizations and doing these things to help their communities and and society overall.
1: One topic that is now in the forefront today when it comes to athletes uh, involves mental health. Uh, Simone Biles, recently in the Olympics, she withdrew uh, from certain competitions because of her mental health. Naomi Osaka also brought that. And there have been other NBA players uh, as well uh, talking about mental health. What are your thoughts about that and what athletes uh, are now going through today?
6: Well, um, I'm an advocate uh, for mental health because, you know, I went to counseling when I played professional football and I was the same at first. I think it's important advocating for people to have a balanced life or a better balance when it comes to mental health is important. But I also I do believe because of what I've been through in my life, because of the adversity and, you know, growing up early on, if someone would have said, and I've talked to friends about this, is that, hey, if coach would have, you would have said to coach, oh, I don't just feel like I'm into it today. It's like you got to suck it up, get it together, and let's go, right? Because your team is – you know, dependent on you. And a lot of times we wouldn't have persevered in life if we didn't refocus and really try to push through things because I ran track my entire life, played football. It's a lot of things that, you know, that I need to just take a step back, refocus, and get ready for that moment and just give it everything I have because people are depending upon me. So I can't always bail out on them and not saying Simone or anyone else bail out. What I'm saying is that you, you work on that mental health to get yourself prepared for those moments so that when you get there, now you can truly focus and give your team or your, your own individual self that full throttle of uh, I'm giving it everything I have and I'm leaving it all, on, you know, leaving it all out there. So if I'm successful, great. If I, if I fail, then I can also be an example for people that support me that, you know, you fall down, you get back up, and you try again right so i think it's uh it's pluses and minuses to what simone has done what naomi has done you know when you look at the people that come before them if they would have did that years ago because it wasn't accepted we would have bashed them as society it's like well you gotta you gotta push through it right now you raise more awareness about mental health so now we think hey put yourself in a position where you're getting the support that you need but mm-hmm. you're also you still have to push forward because, one, you're being paid and, and all those things. So I think it's a double-edged sword when it comes to that. But everybody has their own stance and their own position. I respect that. you know. But sometimes we all would do something different, and that's just human nature that we can all think of something different that we would do in different moments that we have to support each other, but we may not always agree with it. And, you know, that's just how things are today when it comes to mental health, because it's a difficult and um, complicated topic. It's not one right, it's not one wrong.
4: So Warwick, where is the National Football League today with mental health in terms of uh, recognizing it, providing support? On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you say the NFL stands right now?
6: Well... I can tell you before they weren't there today now they actually have mental health individuals that are part of the organization that guys can go to that guys could uh, you know they could do things in private because a lot of times people other guys they don't want to know they don't want people to know that they're talking to individuals so I think they've taken a step are they at a ten I don't think they're at a ten yet They're probably six, seven. You know, they've made great strides over the years, and I think they can only get better because I'm part of the NFL Legends program as well, and we have mental health programs that we go through, you know, when we all get together to educate us on mental health, some of the issues, the trends that are going on, how we can help assist other individuals that are dealing with that. So. I think now today is more awareness to it, right? You know, and and I've been through it, still living it, and I go through it. So I do understand, and I know that it is a journey. You don't get to the finish line just because, you know, you start running. It is a journey. The finish line is never going to – you're never going to get there because this thing is going to be going on forever. So I just think we have to continue to educate on mental health and and prepare each other, you know, for the ups and downs that we're going to face. And that's just – Now, more accepted as society and people respected. And uh, again, it's going to be a journey and we have to make those adjustments moving forward as a society, but also as
2: athletes. Well, Warwick, it has been such a treat to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for everything you're doing uh, for my hometown down uh, in Atlanta, hoping for a good season uh, for the Falcons. I know there's been some rebuilding, uh, as it were, going on, but glad to know that you're on the (laughs) sidelines whispering in uh, Mr. Blank's ear about some things uh, that that maybe they (laughs) could be doing down there. So best of luck to you. Thank you so much.
6: I appreciate you guys. Thank you.
3: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline, it's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So, guys, uh, work done. Really interesting conversation, you know, as I said to him, wide-ranging for sure. And, and it's a tough time uh, for an athlete, a complicated time for an athlete. He certainly understands a lot of these issues. You know, keep in mind, this is a guy who lost his mom when he was very young. He raised his siblings. And so when he talks about kind of where you come from and how that influences you, he, he really knows what he's talking about. This is not easy for the NFL. It's not easy for for the world of sports to grapple with all of these issues, Linji.
4: Yeah, I know. I think the, the word throughout this thing is nudge. They don't want to force people to get vaccinated. I know Warwick Dunn, he probably <laughs> 15 years ago, would be in there and tipping tables over in that cafeteria telling the young guys, you better get your butt down there and get vaccinated right yeah. now because I'm not going to lose myself a game check, and we're not going to forfeit a game just because you're being stubborn. And now he's more mature, he's retired, and he's a part owner, so he has to be a little bit more diplomatic. But you, you, could, you, know, you, you could feel in his presence that you know TAM is number one, and he carries that team concept to the Atlanta Falcons.
1: I am so glad that he reinforced something that I've been saying since the NFL made this announcement. Don't mess with my dinner plate. Because yeah. if you do, I'm going to bring my whoop-tushy stick, and we're going to have a moment. And <laughs> <Like> what? <laughs> well, I cleaned it up. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Don't penalize me because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, especially when it comes to providing for my family.
2: And And you think about the impact on the broader organization, you know, work done. Now, looking at this from a business perspective. He said that right off the top. This is a business, you know, and he sees that now every day, not just from the perspective that he used to have of I'm in the business of work done. He's now in the business of the Atlanta Falcons. His his livelihood in part at this point depends on that team continuing to grow in in valuation. And he's looking at the gate and he's looking at concessions and he's looking at merch and all of those different things. He and Arthur Blank and and the rest of the team there. So these are real economic issues. and, And the good news, I think, is that often it's economics and your pocketbook that ultimately gets you to move on something. So, you know, here's hoping that maybe that's another uh, lever that's going to be pulled or another sort of pain point, as it were, that will get us to where we need to get.
4: My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since I was a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike.
2: we have a chance to go for three in a row?
1: Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. (laughs) It's time for the number of the week. Here we go. This isn't easy. Why well, I not say easy. I'll keep it simple. Let's put it that way. Uh, Tokyo Olympics Opening Ceremony. How much did it cost? And let's transfer yen to dollar.
2: Yeah, no, let's not do. Um, <laughs> let's not do yen. So this is the total cost. I'll go twenty million.
4: This is just opening, right? This
1: is just the opening ceremony.
2: I'm gonna. I'm gonna go up to. Uh...
4: Forty-nine point nine 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 million.
1: Well, Inchi, you finally made it on stage, and oh. I was kind of surprised when I read this: one hundred fifty million dollars. What for the opening ceremony? For the opening ceremony, I, I and I had to reread that. It's like, my goodness, it, it's you know, I, all the stuff that happened. And according to uh, the Japanese uh, magazine Shukan Bunshin... Uh, that's how much it cost, $150 million or 16.5 billion yen.
2: That is outrageous.
4: You know, I'm going to opt. I was so far off. I'm going to opt out from accepting my prize because I was 100 100- <laughs> I was so far <laughs> off, but I don't deserve to win. Neither of us <laughs> deserve to win. yes you
1: yeah. imagine <laughs> telling
4: Drew, look, I know I'm short,
1: yeah. but man, I'm not coming up on <laughs> I'm stage. I'm not coming up. Uh, this <laughs> is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports.
4: Still scratching my head over 150 large. I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at lyncheywcbb.
2: And I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter twitter at jason kelly news woefully inadequate at the number of the week thanks so much for joining us we'll catch you next week
1: you're listening to bloomberg business of sports bloomberg radio around the world